Good to see you all. I was going to move right on to uh, Happy New Year, but front of the bulletin says Christmas Tide, so Merry Christmas Tide, I suppose. And, uh, and a Happy New Year, Prosperous New Year. Uh, I'm going to read uh, uh, probably the most uh, familiar passage in the Bible to most people, Psalm 23. Uh, years ago, I used to visit a friend at the uh, Annapolis Convalescent Center, and occasionally, I guess it was once a month, the, uh, the priest would join me, and we'd serve uh, communion, and he had learned over the years to stick with very familiar hymns and uh, Bible passages. And of course, Psalm 23 was, was one of them, and we would always read Psalm 23 in the day room. If any of you have been in a nursing home with the day room, it's kind of a sad place sometimes because they just wheel the people in in the morning and they watch TV all day and then they wheel them back to their room for meals and, and at night. But we uh, converted it to a little uh, church service once a month there. And um, at, we were surprised, or I was surprised, how many people joined in uh, to say the 23rd Psalm with us. And uh, one time after we had finished, the... Uh, nursing aide came up to me and you said and said, Do you see that woman over there that just said the twenty third Psalm with you? I said, sure. He said she hadn't spoken in three years. And she knew the the Psalm, it just opened her lips. So let us let us read from the twenty third Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our next passage is from uh, the Gospel of, of John, the, uh, the words of Jesus. Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I might take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this holiday season when we commemorate your, your birth. But uh, most of all, we look forward to uh, Easter when we celebrate your resurrection, the resurrection that saved us from our sin. As this new year approaches, we pray for peace and prosperity. We pray that our leadership uh, would be uh, wise. And as Chaplain Lee comes to the pulpit, we pray that uh, your word may pass through his lips, through Christ our Lord. Amen. As you know, not to repeat myself, but if you're visiting with us today, we've been going and looking at a series of sermons on personalities of the Advent, particularly the personalities that were involved with the coming of Christ. Of course, now we've had Christmas Day and we celebrated Christ's coming, Emmanuel, God is with us, Jesus, the Christ child, Jesus who had come to save his people from their sin. And uh, Jesus says, come, but now, these, this Sunday and next Sunday, we want to tackle some of the people involved in the Advent who came after Jesus was born, starting with the shepherds. For they came, because of the announcement that we're going to read about in a minute here, of, uh, came to visit Jesus after he was born, of course. And then next week, the wise men, who came probably maybe up to a year later after Christ was born. We're going to talk about God's use of the wise men and last Sunday here at your church, next Sunday. Before I do that, though, I want to just remind you that we last Sunday tackled the humiliation of Christ, his coming to be born in a manger, his coming to earth from the glories of heaven was an unbelievably remarkable event, and we are the beneficiaries of all that that's happened because of that. My wife reminded me of a passage that I should have read last Sunday just as a, a tie-over because in Isaiah 53, one of the many places in Isaiah which talks about the coming of Christ, we read this. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Talk about humiliation. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity 
of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That's called humiliation, my friends. And notice too in this passage, there's a hint about him being the Lamb of God, him uh, existing in a place, a lowly place which ties into our whole sermon theme today for the coming of the angels to the shepherds. But the angels came to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, if you turn to your Bible, and we find that this theme of humiliation really continues in this passage of Luke chapter 2 and the story of the angels coming to the shepherds who were among the lowliest class you could imagine in those days. So let me uh, read this to you in just a moment. But how many of you have been to a reveal? Anybody ever been to a reveal? Now, I don't know that I ever used that word when I was growing up, a reveal, but there are probably different kinds. But what I'm talking about is a reveal where a new mom and dad, a mom and a young couple are about to have a baby, and they want to announce the sex of the baby. That's generally one major reveal. I've seen some news accounts recently of, of this happening. Anybody been to a reveal like that? Okay, it's a big deal. When my wife, when my wife and I had children, we just sent out a little card that said, "Congratulations, new grandparents! You're going to have a baby granddaughter or grandson or something." It wasn't a party. We didn't have balloons or anything like that. But reveals can be a pretty significant thing these days if you are paying attention to what's happening in the news. It's meant to be a big surprise, but let me tell you, there's no reveal on earth. There is no reveal ever you could ever put on for anybody at any time on this earth that could top the reveal of Luke chapter 2. For here we find this, that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, as he said to Zachariah and Elizabeth and Joseph and Mary as well. Fear not, fear not, calm down. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now that is a reveal. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude, an army of angels, a host of angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, what the Lord has made known to us, what the Lord has revealed to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. There, my friends is the standard for a reveal. 
something from God that totally surprises you and gives you the most unbelievable announcement you could ever get. And that's what was happening on this story, in this book of amazing stories of the shepherds getting this reveal from God himself. If you're taking notes today, you'll notice a blank space in the bulletin. You can really, I'm just following the pattern who, what, where, when, why. If you're taking notes today, you might want to take, take some thoughts down because of those. So that's where we're headed here. And who are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about the shepherds, of course, who were blessed beyond measure as they were, they weren't even invited to the reveal. God just said, hey, I'm going to go down to those shepherds and surprise them. It wasn't even a message ahead of time to prepare for this reveal. So the shepherds, of course, are the main characters here, I suppose. But also we find that God is involved, as he has been this whole Advent series, where God's been reviewing his plan step by step throughout all of history. And now coming in the fullness of time is the Messiah. God's involved. The angels, who we've learned of, had played critical roles all throughout the Bible as they revealed a message from God at critical times, mostly coming to God's people to encourage them and stimulate them and challenge them and warn them. We find also in this passage, we had another character, the other two characters, of course, were Mary and Joseph, who were incredibly encouraged by these lowly shepherds popping into the manger and telling them what they had just heard. Put yourself on the place of Mary and Joseph for a minute. You just had this birth. Maybe you're wondering what was going to happen next. Where were you going to live after this? You can't stay in a manger and live there. You got to, there's a census going on and all that business. And all of a sudden, some shepherds show up. and They say, we've got a story for you. We have, it's just been revealed to us that there's a Messiah here, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the angel said he's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes here in the manger. I think it's you. And of course it was. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph? When we get to heaven someday, they're among those you'll want to talk to. And you'll say, how did you, how, did, how was this for you? How did you feel? I mean, what, what did, how did you cope with all this? What was it like rearing a perfect child? And so on. So they were there. The shepherds came. Now, the shepherds, by the way, speaking about who, what, where, when, and why, the shepherds were always considered in these days a despised class. They were, as they were considered thieves, Nancy said, because they probably were. They were the lowest class. They could not keep the ceremonial laws of God because of their schedule. Their hours wouldn't cut it for going into the temple and sacrificing and so on, but they raised sheep for others to kill for sacrifices. They were not allowed to give evidence in court because nobody would believe them. You're going to call a shepherd for a test? I don't think so. Nobody would do that because shepherds were not reliable because they were known as liars. In a family of shepherds, the youngest man, youngest male was given the job of being a shepherd. There might have been shepherdesses, I'm not sure, but we know in the scriptures that the youngest male was usually the one. When you read literature about the Middle East and history, you find out that whether, whatever, whether you were Jew, Gentile, whatever you were, if you were the youngest son in a shepherd's family, you were given the task of being a shepherd boy, and the older brothers were very delighted that their mom had another boy. Because then they, he could do this job of being out all night with the animals and so on. And you know, there were people in the scriptures who were not liars and so on, who were shepherds like David. 
And David learned a lot of things when he was out there in the shepherd's field. He learned how to save the sheep. He learned how to protect the sheep from the lions and bears. And so he was a busy guy and made the most of his time as a shepherd. But some of the best Bible leaders were also shepherds, by the way. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his sons, David, and even Moses was a shepherd. So what I said about shepherds is not always true in the Scriptures, but in Jesus' day, these were despised people and low in class. Because where they lived, they were dirty. Who would, want to re- who would have thought that God would have revealed something to them? After all, weren't there educated priests and Sadducees and Pharisees and the high priests and these people who knew the Messiah was coming? That's where the reveal should have been. It should have been right in Jerusalem in the middle of the temple courts. That's what should have happened. That's not what happened. God came to these lowly shepherds. Shepherds, a whole shepherd theme from what we read in Isaiah 53 and other places, are continually throughout the scriptures. And though I don't think this shepherd story is an is a, uh, analogy to Christ, but isn't it interesting that Christ said, I am the great shepherd. I am the shepherd. I am the door of the sheep, as we read in John chapter 10. And the shepherd's theme throughout all the scriptures is there, with culminating, I think, in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It's a wonderful theme, a wonderful theme. So what was happening here? Like I said already, this has been a reveal like none other. It was a small audience. They weren't warned about this. It was nighttime. Not many people were around. Only lowly shepherds. No upper class were involved. No religious leaders. Just the kind of people that would fit the humiliation, you see, of the Messiah who had left the glories of heaven to become like you and me. It was a fitting group to come in light of what was happening with Christ's birth. And so there it was. The announcement came out of nowhere by an angel followed by a multitude of the heavenly host. When when the Bible talks about a heavenly host, it's talking about an army of angels, an army choir of angels joined, who might have been Gabriel, we're not sure, who gave the announcement, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and so on. It's no wonder the angel said, Fear not, guys. I've got good news for you. The angel knew they were startled. They were worried. They were fearful. Fear not. It was happening. So what was happening was God was giving this incredible reveal that after which there's been nothing like it in all of history. And where did this take place? This took place in, in and near Bethlehem. Of course, just where God said the birth would be. Shepherds didn't have a clue that they were part of a fulfillment of prophecy because Micah says this baby would come out of Bethlehem. So here were these shepherds not knowing anything at all about, oh, hey, we're kind of fulfillment of prophecy here. This is cool. They didn't have that attitude and even knowledge. They were just totally surprised. And we are surprised even today to see this among the many 300 prophecies of Jesus being fulfilled with these shepherds. Isn't that amazing? Remember, this is a book about the greatest stories ever told. And this is an incredible one, for sure. So who, were they, who was involved here? God, angels, shepherds, Mary and Joseph. What was happening? A reveal, an announcement like none other. Where? In and near Bethlehem. 
And when did this happen? Well, it happened just after Jesus' birth. That's common sense. It says, says so right here. And we also know, as I've pointed out many times in this series, this came also in the fullness of time. Why did God chose this time for all this to happen? We can't say for sure, except it was time in God's plan. And there's a time coming in the future, too, when Jesus will return. He's got a time for that. And part of life today for us who know Jesus is preparing for that time in the future when there'll be another even grander reveal. That's going to be something. That's going to be something. But why was this happening? Who, what, where, when? Why was God doing this? Other than, of course, this was the time he had assigned. Well, you know what I think is happening here? I think God is revealing now, now that Jesus is born, his personal touch to the world. He's revealing himself as a personal God who comes to the lowliest of people you could imagine and giving a son who is a baby, a helpless infant child, and God is coming to give us a little taste, a personal touch of his interest in you and me and those that he sent Jesus to save. Many of you moms here know that Newborn babies thrive with touch, don't they? If you have a babies that are abandoned, that have not been able to be touched much, they're in a foster home with minimal amount, their growth can actually be stunted intellectually and, and physically. And physical touch is really important for a young baby to grow up. Well, here we find that God is giving a personal touch to people who needed it, the shepherds, Mary and Joseph, But God was doing this for something else other than a personal touch. And it's tied up with the word glory. Well, the angels sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Why was this happening? God was beginning to reveal his glory in a fresh and new and significant way. Did you know? that you sang the word glory or said it at least 26 times this morning already? Did you know that? You did. We started out at the beginning, look in your bulletin. I circled them just to make sure that I got them there. So you sang call to worship. Who is this king of glory? Three times. Song of Emmanuel. Great and glorious love has come to us. Sing for the light overwhelms the dark. Glory shining for all to see. And then you sang maybe more than 16 times. Gloria, 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 Gloria. We sang it three times in the last hymn we sang. And you're going to hear it again. We sang it, we said it in the corporate prayer of confession. And you're going to hear it again in the benediction. 26 plus times today you have used the word Gloria. And I think in this particular amazing story, that is a very important word to spend a little bit of time on because the Bible Reminds us that Jesus came to fulfill God's glory. Jesus came to, as, as well, I'll just read it to you. Hebrews 1.3 is what it says. Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus came as the radiance of the glory of God. And so this was not just a simple little word to be unnoticed when the angels came to the shepherds and they began to sing glory to God in the highest. What they were saying was, my friends, you are being revealed some of the glory of God himself. And I don't know that the shepherds got that at the time, except the Bible says, as we read earlier, that they were amazed and encouraged and glorifying and praising God, glorifying and praising God. The word glory is all over this little episode and this little reveal. Just a few thoughts about glory, which might be interesting to you, because it really is an important word. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are over 25 Hebrew words that are translated in the New Testament, the Septuagint, as doxa. Doxology is one of the main words we use out of this. Praise. But in the Old Testament, and people were trying to describe the glory of God, they would use different words because just like naming Jesus, you can't just give Jesus one name to describe something so unbelievable as Jesus. He's the good shepherd. He's the living, he's the bread of life. He's the the Lion of Judah, he's the, you know, you can, there are all kinds of names of Jesus in the Bible. You can't just restrict glory either to a couple words. So in the Old Testament, when the word glory is used, it's often used to describe what they have seen, like a cloud, pillar of, a pillar of cloud during the day of the Israelites in the wilderness, a pillar of fire by night, which was the glory of God. The Bible says the heavens tell of the glory of God. And so when we look at the heavens and we look at us as created human beings, we are seeing something of God's glory in all that. And some of the words used describe this. We find that, that in Ezekiel 128, it says the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord is right here. And when people are describing what Moses saw on Mount Sinai or the glory of the Lord that filled the tabernacle, they would use words to describe this. Did you know that the glory of the Lord appeared to Moses at one time when he and Aaron were about to be stoned by the complaining Israelites? And the Bible says that the glory of the Lord came and appeared to the Israelites. Something spectacular, something weighty. Jesus came to glorify his father. He was glorified at the transfiguration when he went up to heaven after the resurrection. The Bible says he shall come with great power and glory. Other words to describe glory were brightness, weight, heaviness, worthiness, reputation, honor, splendor, praise, and the ultimate end of knowing his glory and seeing his glory is worship, which is what you will see next week the wise men did when they came to meet Jesus finally. They came down and they worshiped him. Do I need to remind you what our first catechism question says? What is the chief end? Chief end of man. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God, to give him the brightness and weight and the heavy theology, you might say, and the worthiness and reputation, honor and splendor of who 
God is this one who saved you from your sin and brought you from darkness to light and gave you a healthy heart instead of a stony heart. He'll give you hope in the future and eternal life, not eternal death. Our chief end is to glorify him. And this story of the reveal to the shepherds, I think, really focuses on that little phrase by the heavenly host who were praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest. Unbelief. We, we want to give him praise and authority because he is giving peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's an important part of that as well because you see this little phrase, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased or goodwill to men, ties right in with give him the name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The glory of God's being revealed as God is continuing his revelation and knowledge now in a very unique way of how he's going to keep a people for himself that he promised with his covenant with Abraham. All this is coming together right here. And God's glory and peace comes to those, of course, who know Jesus Christ. For we know in the world there might be stretches of peace, but there really is no peace. But Jesus came that we might have peace. We have the peace of God when we take away, when he takes away our guilt and, and so on. And the Bible says that he is peace among those with whom he is pleased. He's talking about those who come to Christ may have troubles in this life, but it won't be lasting troubles. Peace will come in time. And he's promising this in this very phrase of the angels here. He's talking about peace with his people. It was through Jesus Christ that God was going to re- was revealing to the people of his day, of those days, some of his glory. And Jesus' glory, though, was still in a state of humiliation his whole life. He lived without any home, no place to lay his head, the Bible says. He lived off alms. He was a man who was despised, rejected. The Bible says he didn't even look very nice. Wasn't handsome, evidently. And yet Jesus came with glimpses of glory of the Father every time he healed somebody. Every time somebody was able to walk or couldn't walk or could see, after not seeing, he gave some revelation of his glory that was being revealed, of his might and his Father's might. And Jesus' life itself being a perfect life also, of course, is something of a reveal of the glory of God in him in these days. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. I don't know if the shepherds felt that God was pleased with them when he left, but it says this in the rest of our chapter. When the angels went away, they said, let's go visit this child, and so they did. And they found him lying in a manger, and they 
saw Mary and Joseph, they said they, they, they explained what happened to them. They had been told, they, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. You can just hear them saying it. And, and the angel said that your son, this could be, this is Jesus. This is the Savior of the world, the son of David, right here. This is who he is. And they were probably explaining that and being excited about it. And Mary and Joseph, knowing a little bit about the background, probably were saying, yes, that's amazing, isn't it? And then when they left there, it said, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here we have these lowly shepherds. Nobody would believe them in court. They were dirty, smelly, could not participate in the religious religion of their, if they were Jewish, religion because of their hours. But it says they went out and their response to having this revealed to them was that they returned to their fields and towns glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. If there's any lesson for us today as to so what? What do you do with a story like this? You might want to think that might be the thing that ought to happen when you hear about Jesus. When you realize that the Messiah has come, when you realize that God has revealed his glory in this Savior, Jesus Christ, it might mean that we would be a little excited about that. And want to, however our personalities work, that we might glorify and praise God for all they had heard and seen. A natural response of a reveal like this is that you want to tell people about it. And if it's been revealed to you that you were a sinner once and dead in your sin, and now God came to raise you from that life and he gave you faith to believe and trust in him, that's a pretty good story. Something to reveal to others. Something to tell people about. Because you've been revealed. It's been revealed to you too that Jesus has come. We have a little more information than the shepherds had. But they got it from pretty good authority, didn't they? From heaven himself. Another lesson from this besides the fact that, number one, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever seems like the shepherds here went away enjoying what they had heard, don't you think? They were amazed and went away glorifying and praising God as it was. Tell others about this as the shepherds did. And I think there's another lesson here in this passage too because it just reminds us that we need to expect the unexpected in dealing with God himself. We don't know how he's going to interact with our life. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Proverbs 16:9, which says, In his heart a man makes his plans. But the Lord determines his steps. I call that a sovereign surprise verse. Because in the Christian life, if the Christian life is anything, it's a life of surprises. You can't even anticipate when a but the Lord might come your way. You might be lying in bed like a shepherd's lying on their stone pillow, and all of a sudden, wham! You're getting a reveal, revelation from God. Christians need to expect God to be interrupting their lives with sovereign surprises as the angels, as the shepherds were surprised. And Mary and Joseph were surprised. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were surprised. And Moses was surprised. And Jonah and Noah and David and Saul and the prophets and the disciples all experienced Glorious, sovereign surprises as they live their lives. 
So how about you? You're, no one in this room is as lowly as a shepherd might have been in those days. Are you ready to be surprised? Are you thankful for the surprises you already have from him, like knowledge of his word, knowledge of Jesus? Are you aligned with the chief end of man, beginning to glorify God? Did you mean it when you sang Gloria 26 times today? Will you use that word more this coming week? Will you spend more time glorifying God? Because this is why he came, to glorify God. And this is why we are here as well, our chief end. I am thankful for this book of amazing stories, aren't you? It tells us our condition, tells us what we need, tells us how God revealed himself through all these times of history to come just at the right time to give us Jesus Christ whom we celebrate at Christmas time, all for our benefit that we might have peace because we're among those with whom God is pleased through his son. I'm not sure how else to end the sermon this morning other than just to say, glory, glory be, (laughs) glory be. May you go home today and as you end this year, may you say, Lord, help me to glorify you in the days ahead in 2020. Lord, help me to be excited about what I've learned through your word as even as the shepherds were so excited. Thank you for coming to the lowly as you did, but also encouraging us as we read about it ourselves. Let's pray. What an evening that must have been, Father, for those shepherds. We only get a little glimpse and a little taste of it in reading your word, but there it is. They were excited. They were fearful. They were amazed because they heard about Jesus who had come. And Father, we know it's amazing that you would give us information and knowledge and salvation through Jesus as well. It's no less amazing that we are sitting in this congregation today as your people, adopted into your family. And Lord, as I've prayed before, if somebody may be here today that's wrestling with their status before you, I pray they might be surprised by salvation today as they repent of their sin and turn to Jesus, the Son of David, the Messiah, the one who claimed to reveal God to us. Thank you for your tender care. And in Jesus' name, his surprised people said, Amen.